We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And now New Galaxy Broadcasting presents Inalienable and Free Voice of the Coalition, a program addressing the grave challenges to human and citizen rights in America and the rest of the world. How can we, the people of Earth, take back the power and privileges granted to us by God and address so significantly in the Declaration of Independence? Our rights are inalienable, that is, given by God and incapable of being taken away from or given by another. These rights are the basis of liberty, the foundation of all life and happiness. The Coalition of Planetary Empowerment is an organization designed to give its members tools and information to empower them personally, in relationships, and in business and employment, but also to give them a voice and the ability to help transform political and corporate governance to support the true needs and desires of people throughout the world. Inalienable and Free focuses on the need for government and corporate business interests to be responsive to the will and desire of their constituents and consumer shareholders. Good morning, world. My name is Johnny Bluestar, host of Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition. I am joined with my friend Donald Newsom, who helps produce the show and who is an owner of BBS Radio, the station I am privileged to broadcast from. This show is titled Recipe for a Perfect World, a Geopolitical Perspective, Part 2, Remolding Our Priorities and Institutions on the Road to Peace. In our last show, we dealt with the necessity of ultimately outlawing the doctrine of mutually assured destruction and the weapons that support that doctrine, including nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons. Further, now they have been created and there's a history of scientific research that has stood behind this fearful experiment since the Manhattan Project. Once these weapons have been destroyed, we must create an ever-vigilant policing force to continually monitor the world to make sure that these technologies remain extinct. Further, we saw the value of creating a whole new class of major weapons that focus on capture, not kill or maim. Now, although non-lethal weapons exist, they're often not used, and the ones that exist sometimes are quite dangerous and rather useless in military engagement. Well, we covered a lot of ground last time, huh, Don? We sure did, yeah. We covered, well, we covered a little bit of ground. It's not easy to cover too much ground in an hour. Yeah, but at least we covered getting rid of all the nuclear weapons in the UND. <laughs> right. <laughs> the thing about it is it's really hard because envisioning the future beyond disarmament is really difficult when you've lived your whole life under that shadow of, of nuclear weapons. But that's what we're going to talk about today. That sounds like fun. Now, you know, total disarmament and its, it, it, its consequences sound like remote possibilities, like I was saying, like science fiction. But maybe, but, you know, didn't science fiction accurately forecast so many things we're seeing emerge today, like submarines, airplanes, spaceships, supercomputers, robots, intelligent machines, communication devices with video and so on? And as far as far off changes of doctrine over a period of two centuries, haven't we seen the abolition of slavery, the growth of women's suffrage, the destruction of laws against segregation, the expansion of voting rights, the protection of minorities, this rise of unions? Although we are in steady retreat of having a government that upholds these rights acquired from the beginning of the first day of our independence, 
to the beginning of this new millennium, were, were these not a remarkable flowering of the ideas and wishes of so many dating back to the founding of our country? Still, in order to outlaw the mutually assured destruction doctrine and all its associated weapons, you must have a body of law to do just that. To do that, we spoke of either reforming the United Nations or creating a new world government that will allow these weapons and create a working plan for total nuclear disarmament. With 169 countries that have signed the treaty uh, saying they wanted to outlaw nuclear weapons, it's a little bit of shame that none of the nuclear weapon countries <laughs> signed it, you know? Yeah, there seems to be something a little nefarious about it all, doesn't there? I mean, when you look at what happened in in uh, Japan, and then you look at TEPCO and the way they've handled it, the way their government's handling it, and the way it's continued to be shuffled under the rug like it's no big deal is the biggest tragedy of all. Um, and is this likely to continue to occur? Well, yeah, you look at these radiation maps, you see the radiation of the planet continually increasing, you see radiation doses of millions uh, of sieverts uh, in just California and other areas along the coastline especially. It's, it's, it's a disaster, and, and uh, these technologies that utilize it are just enriching a few people while truly, truly, messing up the land well trump is eager to get more nuclear nuclear reactors going and uh, to uh, uh, you know continue on pushing forward yeah you coal. almost you almost have to uh until you get enough people that agree that we should do away with this and i and and you know the the country's agreeing to do away with with nuclear armaments is a great start but it really needs to be like you and I were talking, a global situation, um, because that's it has what, to be. It has yeah. to be right. So yeah. you know, the only way to to remove something like that is a likely world government, like you're saying. I mean, there has to be some instrument that can actually do that on the global stage. But we don't have to listen. As I, I'm no expert on this, Don. You can tell me, but I understand a lot of our nuclear reactors are sort of like Fukushima's. Right. Many time and, bombs. And, and now if, if you have that going for you, are you really going to not directly act on that, knowing the incredible damage that that has done? It's Our politicians damage. are idiots. I mean, let's be real. These, these people, we see them. Look at what's going on. It's a comedy show. It's a damn comedy show. And... Um, I mean, to expect anything out of these freaks is just about damn near impossible. Yeah. So, I mean, look we, at the we, British Parliament as well, it, mm -hmm. and, and Canada as well. Um, although, eh, you know, they're not so as, ba as bad, but the, the British Parliament is just a bunch of pansies and dandies walking around, stealing everybody's money and lying to them, and just straight out lying to them. And our, and our government's not far behind that. I would, I would have to put it, you know, uh, in a, say that the U.S. to a lesser degree is so sick, but, you know, the U.K. has shown us absolutely what corruption does. Yeah, well, it's hard to measure the, you know, to compare these two different countries, because one, our country is so much more massive 
That well, is so much more powerful in a certain way. But uh, all the roots of everything that we do is kind of related oh, German, to them. German, well, if you look at uh, the UK, they seem to want to establish uh, um, something like China in their own uh, area. They really do in their own continent. They seem to love the Chinese uh, model and they want to emulate it. Um, they've, you know, shutting down reporters, jailing them for whatever reason, no reason. Um, and literally telling the people, we don't have to tell you shit. And that's that. And when it comes to the queen, if you delve too far, um, you know, we're going to lop your damn head off. <laughs> that to me isn't, you know, the, the, the whole barbaric, uh, British, uh, parliament and, uh, you know, the way the Chinese have been establishing the social credit system. And, and other countries, South Africa is having its problems. And, I mean, we look in the Middle East. It's just, it, it, this is a shit show that's put on for real by, you know, uh, a few malignant characters. And, um, you know, it, it's tragic. It's tragic. Well, I want to go, you see... You know, the purpose of the paradigm is to be able to envision something good. And that it, it's hard to believe, but I do believe that that empowering people who are spiritual to 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 experience what God wants, what's revealed to them, because this is not this this scenario that we're seeing is nothing is not a revelation from higher powers. It's a revelation from lower powers right in these different countries right well you know these community you know again when it comes to um setting up councils uh setting up um our own juries citizen juries citizens hearings and citizens arrests i think that's a fabulous idea i mean come you know get get a dozen or more people 13 people together and start handing down indictments and, pub and publishing it and helping it go viral, but literally holding our own uh, courts and bringing these people to justice. Well, because uh, if we, you, you if are the gonna, people don't, to, if the people you, you, don't, I don't think the government ever will. I mean, look at these people running around the halls of power. They get away with everything. Well, I mean, why, everything. That's why we have to empower people to vote, because if you set up, uh, citizen arrests, well, they have to be kind of approved at a certain point. But you can't set up your own courts and punish people. Yeah, you can. Yes, you can. And it's being done all over the country. I mean, all over the world now in various countries where citizens are doing exactly that. Not in, you couldn't do it in this country, uh, put somebody in jail yeah. or punish them without being, that's a false imprisonment. That's against the law. That's a serious thing. In this country. Right. Well, you know. Yeah, so, so I say that what we have to do is empower voters to take over their their municipalities and take over their counties and take over their state governments and take over their federal governments. Because you've got too powerful a, a sort of a killing machine that's that's operating here. Yeah. Well, true. And, and, the, and the only way that we can do this is by actually obeying the Constitution. And the reason that we're in this state is that people did not do it. They don't vote in primaries, and therefore the people who are elected are, in general elections, usually are Republicans and Democrats. Because right. a handful of people show up at these primaries. 
that's what's got to be changed. I think we have to work with the system. And we have to work with it in a very serious and aggressive way. And we have to get the right people on every level. And I, I think particularly local, there should be citizen groups that discuss what they should do. And uh, they don't necessarily have to be Republican and Democrat, but they should develop their strategies for bringing the right people into this country, into the government of this country. But let me go on here for a second. Okay, Don? You got it. Uh, we were talking about as part of the plan for total disarmament. It's unfortunately critical to remember that these arms are held by eight nations, the U.S., England, France, Germany, Israel says it doesn't have any or it won't admit it, India, Pakistan, and Russia. In order to prevent any one of these nations from going rogue in the middle of disarmament, I'd recommend that a powerful defensive shield with the most advanced technology should be built simultaneously to protect each of these countries and its technology be initiated at precisely the same moment so that the real actions for total destruction of these weapons can proceed under the watchful eye of the W. MD policing agency we've spoken of before. The destruction of these instruments of war will also include the destruction or removal of all toxic materials associated with these weapons. So I'm saying that, okay, we, we have to disarm, we better develop a, a defensive shield around these countries. Right, but can we that, truly, can we truly trust these, the, the world as it is? Even let's say you get a world military police and they do this. Well, I'd still be frightened that one sicko group is going to, you know, uh, be be sequestering away uh, nuclear technology and would use it on a first strike basis, considering everybody else has been disarmed. Well, a first strike basis would have to be a serious amount of weaponry. I mean, it's I, I, I mean, we're not talking about a dirty bomb here. We're talking about something that's pretty extraordinary right and, right and yeah that's a problem but the other problem is that we'll all be destroyed by just a computer error if not by i mean isn't it clear that all these people that are in power cannot be trusted they can't not be to, trusted to, to do something wrong so i'd rather try and get it first of all the this uh these defensive shields would be the developed by these defense departments. The, the policing agency would be another agency. This would be uh, have to be a massively What do you organized... think about our Space Force? I mean, that, that's, that's kind of an interesting uh, way to use uh, one of our um, aeronautics corporations, NASA, and, and uh, our, our military, and, and start creating a Space Force. Well, I, what I propose in here, and we'll discuss it later, is something like that. Because I want to turn the defense industries and the defense, the defense departments of different governments to the aim of the colonization of planets and space travel, yeah. as, well as, as well as totally cleaning up the environment with the help of private companies. Right. I mean, just getting rid of nuclear waste. Okay, so that's what I propose here. But you have to have a technology that could do that. We don't have that technology, although I've seen. You know, I believe we do. It's it. I've you know, seen claims for it, but I don't think yeah, we. It's, sound it's, technology. There's there's you know, quite interesting um, information on new sound technologies uh, that can actually uh, abate some of the radiation. But then everything ultimately is sound, isn't it? So. 
you have to destroy the you have to destroy you have to absolutely uh, neutralize the radiation. So I, I think I've heard examples of that, yeah. but you know it's like other great technologies. It's possibly completely hidden and, and, and mushrooms, suppressed. The mushrooms supposedly and various types of uh, bacteria now can help remove it that they found in the Chernobyl Chernobyl inside the. Uh, uh, old reactors, things like that, that, you know, there are technology. It's kind of like cancer. They don't want to cure it. They don't want to get rid of it. You know, this is helping depress and depopulate and is fitting right in uh, to their um, design. So are they really going to get serious about cleaning up anything, stopping this tragedy or even? No, no they, they won't. They won't. Unless we, right. unless we the people, take charge. Right. If we take charge, it's possible. It's possible, but, it, right. but it's, it's possible because of the primary situation and because of uh, the. There's a lot of people who are upset, but unfortunately, there's a lot of people who just say, "Go ahead, do all, do all these things, and it's fine with us," and are actually for it. Anyway, I want to uh, take a break here for a second. Uh, I'm gonna we're gonna play a song soon, Don. <clears throat> Uh, it's the following songs from a rock group called The Bouncing Souls. Their name is a kind of punk rock pun taken from the slogan of Don Martin's Shoes, a favorite and accepted stable of punk rock attire. The slogan is Don Martin's Shoes with Bouncing Souls, spelled S-O-L-E-S. The group Bouncing Souls is spelled S-O-U-L-S. I'll make a further comment about the phonetic word soul. Soul you know the phonetic Kabbalah? Did you ever hear that expression? I haven't. <laughs> it's not known by many people, but it means that in certain words can actually correspond in different languages by, by their sound to very suggestive meanings. As an example, I'm going to give another example here, but Ar Argo, like the star Argo. Now, in... in um, there is a word argot, which is like the secret language. It's spelled the same way. It could be in French, I believe it's pronounced argo. So it's a secret language. It's um, a star. Then there's the word, the two words archo in, in Greek, which means the art of light. Interesting. So, I, well, so I remember a movie, a movie with uh, called Argo, wasn't it? Argo? I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, Argo, it, you know, F yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a movie by that. I forget, a pretty big actor uh, played in it. Maybe it wasn't named Argo. He just kept saying Argo. <laughs> well, well the, the, the Argonauts with Jason, who they were the, they were the ones chasing the, the Golden Fleece, which right. is sort of an alchemical symbol. Well, in this case, soul in Latin means sun, right? Right. Off the symbol of God. But the word soul, S-O-U-L, means a person's individuality, sometimes considered a piece of God. But it also sounds like the bottom of a shoe, a soul. It also means one or many, the one God. So here in this one little word, you have heaven and earth, the mundane and the sacred. They're all blended together in a way fascinating to people who are interested in this phonetic Kabbalah. <clears throat> so... Um, incidentally, I got the term phonetic Kabbalah from an incredible book called The Mystery of the Cathedrals by Fulcanelli, who's an alchemist. And he gives some really, he gives an example about Arco, but it's, it's more complex than that. 
The Bouncing Souls on these songs feature Greg Atonito on visuals, Pete Steinkoff on guitar, Brian Kiennan on bass, and George Ribello on drums. Kalasu Wintergate, also known as Kalasate Swami, someone who's also married to her musical partner, Johima, is Greg's mother-in-law and a prodigious, um, a prodigious musician. She suggested this song to me. We will be presenting the Kalasu and Johima's band Lightform in future programs. Uh, I like this song. It's about two people who in love who stick together, trying desperately to create a better world. The lyrics of the bridge say, we got to keep on trying, even though our heroes are dying. It's up to us. It's up to us now. We got to keep on trying, even though our heroes are dying. It's up to us now. It's up to us now. And this is the song. So we're going to play this song in a second, followed by a short message about New Galaxy Enterprises, my content development co company. So that's N29 and C2.
My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, is a California corporation specializing in the creation of media and promotional content. We are focused on original, innovative projects that are good for humanity. These projects could be nonfiction books or novels, fictional screenplays or documentary content, websites and website content, commercial advertising content for print, audio, or video products on the internet, television, or radio, musical scores for advertising, television, or film, video, audio editing, etc. We want to promote products and projects that support the environment, encourage a healthy experience in living, developing, nurturing and useful technology and offering platforms for positive, socially constructive entertainment or informative, transformative media. Our experience in creating a variety of products like this is rather vast and we offer client-based and collaborative products, as well as the opportunity of active investors to join us in the creation and promotion of proprietary products, some of which are in latter stages of development. For more information, go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com. That's www.newgalaxyenterprises.com. If you're interested in talking to us, just fill out the contact sheet and we will get back with you. Well, anyway, I thought that was an interesting song, didn't you? I, I liked it. It was very interesting. <laughs> they are officially kind of punk rockers. They started out that way anyway. Uh, and we're going to be hearing more from them and some other really un interesting stuff later on. Wow. Well, so anyway, using defensive warfare, let's say we got this going, will certainly save many lives and reduce the horror of war. Let's say we could develop weapons that don't really just kill and, and maim, but that you can capture people. But none of this will mean very much if we start to warehouse prisoners without accomplishing some kind of change in our methodology. We need to have new protocols for interrogation and rehabilitation. Unfortunately, the idea of interrogation and treatment of prisoners has been severely injured by the actions of the Chinese during the Korean War, which were largely replicated by the U.S. after 9-11. The terrible things the United States did to prisoners during the war in Vietnam and the work of black op organizations like MKUltra and, of course, the use of torture and human, treat human treatment at Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo, and black sites throughout the world. So I don't think that's the protocol we should be looking for, but we still have to deal with it. I believe that certain cases with a court order in the instance, for instance, of a potential immediate terrorist attack might occur. Some kind of technology could be used that will be that will not do physical or psychological damage or utilize pain to permit uh, to permit a uh, alleged terrorist to disclose facts he might not disclose normally. I'm not talking about an MK ultra drug or technique that is used in the careless and brutal way our prisoners have been treated in Guantanamo, Guantanamo and elsewhere. So in my experience that if you have an idea and that has a righteous and positive purpose, then the golden muse of technology will sometimes step down on the doorstep of these capable of perfecting it. The problem is that there are less positive muses of technology and they've been stepping on, on too many doorsteps. Dark technology, which carries an enormous price for its use, has seduced the wealthy corporations in the world to invest in planticide, which means suicide for a planet. In normal conditions, there are plenty of interrogation techniques that can work quite well. But beyond using these types of techniques to convict somebody of a crime, the goal of a prison for prisoners of war or for civilian lawbreakers needs to be far from punitive, but geared towards the prisoner's education and rehabilitation. 
prisoners also should be able to be trained to work in prison areas customized to their talents and abilities, not treated like slaves of the state. And today, so many of our prisoners subject to the cruel sentencing created during the Clinton administration should not be jailed at all. Many of our enemies are basically graduates of sophisticated, often religious-based indoctrination programs. They should be understood to be capable of being deprogrammed, to use a somewhat archaic term, and research should be developed to create protocols which will challenge their beliefs, all the while giving them alternatives. So what do you think of that? It sounds utopic in some respects. I, uh, You know, having some sort of... Uh, um, instruments in place that could um, work well in those situations uh, might be asking too much. <laughs> now, come on! Total disarmament followed by all by a uh, 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 um, international policing force, following by to right changing all that, our weapons. That, again, I thing, like the concept whole, of it. Whole, if you could trust. Thing, the people behind the the power, they, right? They can't be true. Well, this can't happen unless a real large number of people are transformed, not only from being good people, but being people who are empowered to right. politically, politically act. I agree. So, so yeah, this everything I'm doing now, you know, recipe for a perfect, you know, um, recipe for a perfect planet, is um, it's based on very far off paradigms. I know it is. I know that you can't implement hardly any of this immediately, but you could start to empower people. And, and if they're really good people, what choice do they have than to choose alternatives for so many things that are different than our, the way our, our national and international government is set, governments are set up? Right. But where does that, you know, a, a, another thing, though, with these countries, where does that end? Where does that power end that we cede? over to uh, a foreign body or let's say an external body where does that uh, I, I think i think it's like looking at you know there are arguments about what are states rights and what what are like uh, right you, know, you get into a whole bunch of weird areas yeah, yeah you're going to get into those <laughs> questions but it's basically like that I, I i think that maybe the states are not as differentiated as they were originally just by virtue of communications and changes in uh, their specific, you know, agrarian economies and all that. But still in all, I think there's a real market. There, there is. is. I mean, we the one thing we have going for us is the respect that everybody can communicate now. Like you're saying, times have changed. So we, we, we know our neighbor a bit uh, more than we used to, even though we don't get out as much. I mean, we're all connected uh, information-wise to each other on such a fast, vast mass scale that if we are going to do something like this, these are the times to do it? Well, first of all, there are certain environmental situations that obviously cross over. I mean, like Fukushima. We can't, we can't have certain, certain types of technology being used. Uh, or if we have certain types of technology, whatever it is, good or bad, it has to be monitored and there have to be rules governing it if they're going to hurt other countries. So I would think Maybe that's Maybe we have a buyback system, you know, like the gun buyback system. We have the IMF. Uh, and uh, maybe the World Bank, and uh, uh, if they really wanted the world government like they say, why don't they say to the United States, hey, we'll give you $5 billion per bomb. 
for a new for a new <laughs> bomb, right? We'll buy them back, and then we yeah, except go... they're the people who are behind creating the bombs. <laughs> right, right. Uh, that, that's what I that, mean. That, it, it gets yeah, to be I mean, kind no, of it, jokey. It can't be done that way. It can't be done. It, 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 it's absolutely right that you've got to start with really small groups, municipalities, counties, states, or whatever corresponds in different countries, because you've got to have local. The strength has got to be. Right. Well, that's where these citizen uh, hearings, courts and assemblies uh, make sense. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like uh, the Infowars, but it was brought up there. I thought it was a great idea by a, a pretty intelligent fellow. I wish I could remember his name, but this is something he was discussing at length. And same with uh, Here We Stand with Reverend uh, Kevin Annette. His program's on uh, tomorrow at 3 p.m. Station 1. Good program. He He's actually helping other countries from uh, Canada, the U.S., uh, European countries, and so on, to actually learn how to establish these assemblies, councils, meetings, and bring justice back to the people, put justice... But see, we, we already have those things. The trouble is, is that they've been taken over by the wrong people. We have the structure, which is now they're, they're they, denying every aspect of it. You know, the, like the Constitution, they're, they're stripping away right. the, no the meaning of it. But no. we have it. We have it. That's what the great thing is. We actually have it. And if we can take it back, we have something to, to build on that has worked a lot. I, I, mean, I agree. I agree. See, and that, but you know, it's like, yeah, what, what are we going to do? We arrest somebody and we imprison them? <laughs> What's going to happen? We'll, 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 these people who do that will be put in prison. Well, it'd be interesting to see how this plays out because what right. is happening when these things are starting is it, bring, it brings a lot of media attention. A lot. When people actually take it upon themselves to go to that extent it becomes media worthy so it garners so much attention like when it comes to some of the crimes that have been going on with uh you know church and state uh you know it's now coming uh full circle in that these people are starting to be held accountable um the people are wanting answers they're demanding it these things are going viral and changes are taking place in the internal, um, uh, in these in the internal back rooms of these power-hungry groups. They really are um, groups that have been using the glue that sticks government together. Pedophilia is a blackmailing tool, um, and uh, child trafficking is a blackmailing tool, and other things they use as a tool. Um, yeah, you know, it's very scary. we very the people scary. can find that information, bring it out to these assemblies and, and, and citizens juries and really start to gain a lot of attention and awareness. Well, well you can do you, which, what you can do. It might not work, do, but if you can, what you can, what you can actually do is you could have these assemblies. They could meet. They could do investigations. They could. Right. There, there's a lot they could do in terms of that. And they can arrest them. They can arrest them right now. There's nothing. They just can't do anything any... after that. That's the problem. Well, Once well, you arrest well, them, what do you do with them? Well, then you have well, to. Now you're well, skirting the law, aren't you? Because now you're holding somebody. No, no, you're not holding them. You turn them over. But then again, you put a lot of pressure on on the, the local or state or whatever right. judiciary to because they're getting so much publicity. Right. 
And, and you know, at some point, and, th- and that, that by the way, is a great way to start. That's a grassroots understanding and, that those the, sovereign and the, ideas and the, are great. And the and the publicity, though, the publicity is what these people who are in power are afraid of because if they are connected to these things, they're not going to be voted in. Right. They don't support them. They're not going to be voted in. Right. And also, you have the recall possibility. So if you have a bunch of people and they're organized within an electoral context, I, I don't mean that they, I, I don't mean they're necessarily going to be voting, but they could vote. Uh, you could have them actually create, like they did in California, a recall, and you could recall everybody. As far as I know, I mean, on many different levels of government, certainly federal, certainly state, and probably local. So you so you you create recalls. And so you don't have to wait for the election. I like it. That's a powerful tool. It is. Right. I I agree. You know, you know, then again, if you had Menza Group citizen citizens Menza Group stop, you know that formulated these plans and started to bring them to action, uh, things would start happening. And believe it or not, that's what's going on. People have gotten fed uh Many groups have gotten fed up to the point they're doing exactly what we're doing, discussing it and how uh, to go about changing it. And they are. They're, they're making serious strides. Um, it, it's going to be an interesting world how this thing plays out over the next uh, couple decades. I think we're going to be look. I think we're going to see that culmination. Everybody seems to want whatever that well, is in the, in, in, the, <laughs> in the coalition that we're trying to create the infrastructure, people who who are from various groups that are interested in the same thing can come in as individuals and they can form, you know, an initiative that might be from three different organizations that agree with each other. And now you might have 10 or 15,000 people writing to their, 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 the individual they want to uh, influence. Right. Um, Well, let's see now. Well, for the next segment, I'm going to get a little bit personal, Don. Let's I'm going to kind of, I'm going to get, I'm going to have, for me, it'll be a little fun, but I don't know. Because I'm going to talk to, of something that I've truly loved since I was a little boy, namely space travel. Were you ever hung up on that? I was, of course. Uh, that's <laughs> kind of how I got into this when, uh, you know, originally on Dr. Fred Bell. Um, you know, he used to tell me he worked on the downcraft propulsion systems and he'd always try to explain to me how they worked uh and i thought i'd get it at one time and then it would fly by me the next but uh i i always have thought about that dreamed of it i've i've seen crafts um always wished i could get aboard one i'd love to be aboard one never have um you know, and I and I've seen him fairly close, and I've seen him do some interesting things. But no one ever, you know, opened up the ship and said, "Come on in, let's go for a ride." Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got to tell you, space travel to me is 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 something that I mean, if I could be an astronaut tomorrow, I would. <laughs> well, you see, I was born a long time before you, and so I didn't have the advantage of thinking that anything like these extra. You know, these extraterrestrials, I didn't know that there was a crash. Didn't I didn't know that until ma- ma- many, many years Some later. Some people say there was three. There was three that yes, night. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like the Aztec one? Uh, pardon me? There was one, uh, I think it's called the Aztec crash that supposedly happened at the same time. Right, in, right, in Roswell. right. They were able to cover up two of them pretty good. Well, but I, able to cover up, yeah. 
But I'm going to go back into the past now because I'm going to briefly go into my obsession about it, although I'm bound to omit many elements. So, so as someone who's, who went to second grade when I was seven, around 1952, I grew up in the 50s and 60s, roughly corresponding to two very great things, space travel and rock and roll. I also grew up on the cusp of television, gradually taking over radio as a source of drama and adventure, so much so that various 1950s television radio programs featured both. I never played with model airplanes or toy cars. What I always liked were rocket ships. Let's play M30. This is a big influence on my life here. Let's see if you could, you've ever heard of it. part of the Tom Corbett franchise, which included television and radio programs, a series of children's books, a comic book series, and a lot of really cool toys, was the Space Academy set, which included spaceships, Academy headquarters, various dome-shaped, uh, really cool futuristic uh, buildings and launching pads. I used to lie on the floor and play with it for hours, unlike my electric train set, which I did have, but I played with for minutes. Then there was one of the great disappointments. Buzz Corby and the Space Patrol was a show on both radio and television, I believe. It was advertised by Wheat Checks and Rice Checks, and these fabulous early sci-fi promoters told us, it seemed to address to me personally, that if I bought the cereal, I'd be able to actually see a spaceship land, say on my neighbor's roof. And when I heard this, I imagined it was some kind of miniature but powerful projector that could, that could, uh, project a three-dimensional images at a distance, sort of like a hologram, but I never heard of the word before. Can you imagine my excitement as I opened up the box and then found the secret at the back of, back of the cereal box? It was a black and white image that if you stared long enough and looked at the wall, the reverse image would appear. Let me tell you, if I was old enough to formulate an appropriate response, I would have contacted or even formed the Consumer Fraud Bureau that very day. I struggled with slipping into severe depression. I wanted so much to put some kind of spaceship on, on my various friend's house. But anyway, would have been a good Halloween once done too, but no, no, it wasn't real. 
But it was a pro. But there was a program called Rod Brown and the Rocket Rangers that kept me going. This wonderful program sent me a Rocket Rangers membership club form so I could sign up all my friends in the neighborhood so they could enjoy the thrill of being part of this elite organization, a boon to keeping peace in the galaxy and the rest of the known universe, M31. very important part when I was in second grade there was another show that re I really loved probably my favorite and that was Flash Gordon starring Buster Crab this was a movie series that was made 1936 there was three of them till 1940 I don't know if any more were made but they were later broken up and made into television movies or little chunks of it for uh, television programs and uh, I really, that really uh, excited me, to Buster Crab. Here's a short clip from Buster Crab's third movie, often called Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe. In this clip, which is a lot of visual content, unfortunately, I'd like to show it to you, but I can't right now. Uh, Flash Gordon, Dr. Zarkov, and Dale Arden and some comp companions are taken prisoner by the rock people. And where they encounter some prehistoric giant poison, poisonous lizards on the way to meet the king, who turns out to blame them for the, his son's disappearance. I just want to give you a little feeling for this. So let's play SP-10. There. Adam. Oh, Flash. Broca. Come from? Where are you? What is he trying to say? He wants to know who we are and where we came from. What language is it? It's an ancient language spoken by the lost tribes that once inhabited the Gobi Desert on Earth. Your friends, we are... Our king. We're going to be taken to the king. But why are we prisoners, Arkov? I think they're blaming us for that explosion. Oh, we shouldn't be held responsible for that. We go. Come.
don't move. We're safe from the monster if it doesn't see us. Call it in the Guanpin. Even the blast of its breath is deadly poison. Reason we dress like rocks. More easy to hide. He wants him. He says the reason they dress like rocks is to protect themselves against these monsters. Come back here! Call this place the land of the dead. Now we go. saying seems that blaming us for the disappearance of the king's son but they can't do that we had nothing king's son has failed to return since the explosion which apparently caused a serious earthquake and did a lot of damage I suppose his son doesn't show up in that case our lives will be forfeit oh but that's not right torch caused the explosion you better try and make that clear to them Zakhoff. is to blame that man we have not harmed we are friends why do you stand there like fools what your majesty take them to the cells he's coming too Yeah, this was very primitive, right? It was a long time ago. But actually, if you watch this, this 1940 clip and some of the other clips from way back, they have extraordinarily great ideas and, and some great visuals considering that this is way before all this digital paraphernalia came up. I could go a, a long time about this, but I'd like to show in a strange way, yeah, how this should shape my future and my and an important component of my life as an artist in various venues. So I will flash forward to sixth grade in North Merrick, Long Island, where I was asked, along with others in my class, to write a short story. My story was about alien abduction long before alien abductions became mainstream. I never heard of an alien abduction, but I wrote about it, and it, in conjunction with some girl who wrote a story about a carnival, were combined together to be the story of a play, not just a, any play, but a musical. And so me, the girl, and some other people would meet together in the art teacher, with the art teacher and the music teacher, and write the book and songs for the musical. And believe it or not, this play actually was produced, and I went to see the finished product with my parents. The aliens looked a lot like monkeys because I guess they couldn't find any other kind of soup. But anyway, it was only years later that whatever was, whatever shaped 
what, that whatever shaped my unconscious mind to attract this extraordinary opportunity so early in life would be components of a creative, creative obsession that would dominate my life later on. Now, before I tell one more story about my sci-fi childhood, I need to tell you something strange. After third and fourth grade, I went to a summer camp in New Hampshire. During that time, I have a very clear memory of standing with one of the counselors and some other campers watching a comet-like fireball pass overhead, perhaps something like a quarter mile over above. It looked like a small comet, but I think it would have been, uh, it would have been unlikely that a small comet would come that close. It was more or less on a parallel trajectory to the Earth. I believe the council dismissed it as a meteor or something quite natural. I don't remember seeing it land, just watching it overhead. I'm not sure if it really happened, but I remember it distinctly, or so it seems. After my first musical production in sixth grade, I changed schools. And in another contest in English class, I wrote a science fiction story called The Fireball from Arkle, another alien abduction story, and possibly based on my so-called memory of that fireball when I was younger. I thought the name of the planet from which the fireball came nearly Arkel, namely Arkel, was strange. Later on, long after I won that contest, yeah, I won a contest to see Cinerama, the first Cinerama that ever existed. And because of my bad behavior, they wouldn't let me go. So anyway, I won the contest. But so later on, <laughs> way, way before the internet, I found a book by a man named William Arkel who wrote about various metaphysical subjects, including out-of-body experiences. That was the only time I encountered that strange word years later. And I still don't know what it meant, but it was strange. Did you ever hear any, of anyone called Arkel? I haven't, but what a strange coincidence. Yeah, it was yeah. strange. And then there, you know, but I, I continue to be obsessed with science fiction. But later on, after I left college and embarked on a writer and fine art painting career, I, I, I began a book on rock and roll and the consciousness movement. This was in the uh, this was in the early 70s, particularly in rela relations to acid rock and the meditation music that grew out of it. I realized at the time that besides writing about rock and roll, I wanted to be involved directly in creating and playing rock and roll. Right after that realization, approximately 10 songs came to me with melodies that spelled out a kind of story suggesting a musical. Although some strange things happened to me, even as a totally musically unskilled person, this was extremely happened. It was extremely unusual. It happened so fast. In other words, I got these words and melodies together. And... I'm still working on that musical. <laughs> Isn't that something? No, I truly get it. I truly get it. Um, you know, people that have various experiences often end up with knowledge that seems to just come to them on things that they really have uh, no wherewithal about or that, you know, um, I, I hear stories about that every now and again. I think it's incredible. Yeah. yeah and, yeah, and that's something you should really follow very, up on. That's something you should really follow up on. I'm trying, believe yeah. me. I, right now, there's a song that came to me. This song came to me. It's called In Love Shall Know. And it came to me as a whole. And anyway, I was working with two girls who had a band. They were very good. And I brought them the score sheet. I had a score sheet made. And uh, one of the girls looked at it and started to cry. And I said, 
whoa, what, what are you crying for? She said, um, Marilyn and I were in a car, this other girl, and we, um, we heard music, this beautiful music. And we wanted to hear it a little better, so we started to turn it up on the radio, but it wasn't on the radio. Weird. And, yeah. that was, and this was the music. Wow. And then, then Marilyn said, and later on, I was taking a bath, and I heard that music again. And again, instinctively, I reached for the radio, and then, of course, the radio wasn't there. So they, <laughs> so they heard it twice. Now, finally, I paid a long time ago for this music to be done. And the person I paid was someone I work with all the time, and he didn't really like it. And, and it took – and he didn't do it. He didn't do anything about it. And finally – I got him to do it, and he told me that it was one of the most incredible songs he ever heard, but he never understood it until now. And right now, Patricia Welch, who works with me, is, is going to be doing a version. Um, well, you know, got me curious now. I want to hear it. Well, <laughs> I want to it's, hear not, it. it's not done yet. <laughs> when I, but anyway, you will. You'll hear, <laughs> you'll hear it. It sounds pretty groovy. <laughs> well, we'll see. But now, years later, I decided I wanted to create a science fiction film franchise. That was before the Star Trek and Star Wars commercial film franchise had started. In fact, Star Wars came out when I was almost finished with, with, with getting everything ready. I had even talked about my idea of a, at, at a Star Trek convention to Gene Roddenberry. I told him, I want to do this thing called Ganymede Jones, who, uh, who at this point, was run he was running around to different conventions. Remember po Star Trek got canceled, and then there were these conventions. Don, right. do you remember this? Oh, yeah. And they became famous again. Right. Oh, man, that is such an interesting story. I swear, it's just there, – there's a book by William Shatner. And uh, <laughs> after this, you know, he was divorced, and he, he was missing his children, but he, he didn't have any money at all. He was broke. Star Trek, William Shatner, at, right afterwards, he was totally broke when they canceled it. And he had to drive around in this truck and um, he would sleep in the back of this truck. And he had a miniature uh, television, you know, just a, a, that he could put. And, and so when the when the moon landing came, he was sitting there watching the television. And this kid came up to him, wide eyed, Captain Kirk, is Spock there? <laughs> no. And he, and he realized that something had happened, like like there was something strange going on that this kid would recognize him and so forth. And, yeah, the whole thing started to blossom after that. But at, this was before any of the films, and it was after the TV show was canceled, and he was just driving around. <laughs> wow. I, you know, I tell you, I love that actor. I, I think William Schott is one of the greatest. Yeah, yeah me too. I, I mourned when I saw The Next Generation. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> at this point, I wanted to do a science fiction series myself, and I wanted to be a science fiction character. For me, it was like Flash Gordon. Uh, I mean, that's what started it anyway. But I knew I loved Star Trek. Oh, my God. At this point, I, I, so, so Roddenberry told me, go get an agent. You know, they always say that when they want to get rid of you. And I had had agents, and I was sick of agents. So I decided to make my own radio series, a rather archaic idea for the 70s. But I thought I could create a short 10-minute series and maybe give the genre a boost. And at the same time, uh, you know, prepare, you know, just get see the ground here, the cheapest way to do it. 
<laughs> and this this became the greatest effort of my life. And I explained this more in my website, New Galaxy Enterprise. But we had costumes and we had weapons and we had and we had all sorts of all sorts of promotion for this little thing that we were doing. And I, so I want to in a second or two, I'm going to give you a cut from the first series. It was meant to be somewhat comic and overdramatic. I could not have done it without a person named Morgan Fleming, Leo Chandler, and his wife, Mary Ellen Smith. But I will say this about Morgan. He, when he finished um, working with Ganymede, and he was in both series, uh, later on he became a jeweler. And he started with very little. He, his father had been a jeweler. He had a few things. And it was really like tempting for him not to do anything about this because it seemed so stupid. But then he said, I remember how I did this, how I started something from nothing. And so I began to start this. And he's now an established jeweler. So uh, <laughs> so it was good for something. Anyway, here's a clip from, the, from an early pilot that was recorded with the help of Sonny Gray, a jazz musician who owned a studio specializing in teaching tapes. And to, uh, to uh, I just owe him a great deal. Leo and I, uh, now that's another thing, Leo Chandler. Leo Chandler was in prison for life, for life, because, and it wasn't like he wasn't the sinister guy, but he, he just like, it, it thrilled him to hold up Safeways with a gun. <laughs> and he was arrested three times for it, and he was in jail for life. So Jenk Jones, who owned the Tribune and the Tulsa World and the Tulsa Tribune, uh, went to McAllister Prison for other reasons. And a guard said, you ought to see what's going on downstairs. And uh, you ought to meet, meet this guy, Leo Chandler. And Leo was teaching other, other prisoners how to paint. And he saw his work. His work, honestly, it was incredible stuff. And, and he was so impressed by this, he, um, he went to the University of Tulsa and talked to a friend of his who was the... Um, director of the art department. And together, these guys petitioned the governor. And the governor, they gave him a scholarship, but he couldn't go to the, he couldn't go to the art, art school, the University of Tulsa, because he was in prison for life. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little awkward, but they petitioned the government and he got a part. He didn't get a part and he, got a, he went on parole. And I wow. met him shortly after he got in he got out, and I talked to the first person who interviewed him was named Mary Ellen Smith, who was a great person, and they fell in love. <laughs> the first person he interviewed, and they got married. And I, I work with both of them. And um, <laughs> wow, wow, yeah, it was, it was extraordinary. And yeah. he, he, it's it's of course a very complicated story, but basically what he did with us is he we went. We went to a carpet remnant, a carpet place, and we found remnants in a, you know, in a disposal area. We took these remnants and we built it like a studio with the soundproofing, and we got some really crummy uh, stuff from a pawn shop. But Leo was very handy, and he fixed it. And uh, so we had a studio, and from that studio we made a pilot. And from that pilot. We got into one of the best studios in Tulsa. It was teaching tape studio by a jazz musician. We had original music, original sound effects. 
you could do anything with the studio. And later on, it went, it went from, I think, eight tracks to 16 tracks in the, in, the, in the next one we did, or maybe even 32 tracks. But at any rate, th this is what we did. So I'm going to tell you, man, it's, a, it's kind of primitive, but I like to play it for people because it was, it, it is like it has heart in a certain way. So here it goes, SP-8, the pilot. On July the 15th, Ganymede Jones will become radioactive. KMOD radio. Active, 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 active. In the 31st century, the Interstellar Alliance ruled all explored space within the Milky Way galactic system. The ISA was a military confederation of planets held together by the fear of an imminent invasion from Beta Hydra, center of a vast and unfriendly civilization. Only this threat held the Alliance together, for man still hated his brother, even though he built his home among the stars. This was the world that Ganymede Jones vowed to change as he fought for freedom and justice in these strange, disturbed times. The new Atlantis Theater Company presents The Adventures of Ganymede Jones on the Outskirts of Space. The world of the Interstellar Alliance was a world of war. It seemed that man could not keep himself from the twin temptations of pride and greed, and so plunged himself and his brothers into a nightmare world of technology run amok and ambition unchecked by conscience. With all the problems man had wrought for himself in the 31st century, he was now also heir to an invasion from a distant stellar system, Beta Hydra so that he who could not contain himself in peace was now forced to contend with an enemy from the stars. These clashes raged on and on until it seemed man had finally begun to win the battles with the Hydrogen Menace. Many of mankind's warriors were now returning home, exhausted by their wars in deep space. Among these was Ganymede Jones, captain of the starship Dogstar. His ship has been severely damaged. In a sudden change of orders, Ganymede is directed not to land. Captain, this is an urgent message from Command Control. Your orders have changed. You are now on black sky alert. You are not to land under any circumstances. Do not land the Dog Star. Black sky alert. Repeat, do not land the Dog Star. Shut the frog mouth off, Nick. Jojo, what chances do we have if we stay up here? Ganymede, if we stay up here, there's going to be a great fireworks display for Pluto Base, and we're going to be the Roman candle. There's no chance, Ganymede. If we stay up here, we'll be dead in 20 minutes. Screaming sky sharks. I ain't blown up the ship because they got some kind of Uncle Scrooge complex. I'm taking this baby down. But that's a violation of a Starbase directive. What about the base, Jojo? Is it in a bad jam if we land? Oh, I hate to say it, Ganymede, but... But I don't see how they could give us this order. I think it's worse for them if we explode up here. Sure, we might do a little damage in our landing, but... But Black Sky? No way, Ganymede. It's ridiculous. Well, that cuts it for me. I guess we're gonna have to land. You know what that means? I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. Start getting ready. Everybody get settled. 
Jojo, flip on the fuel conversion charts. Okay, Mick, hit me with the monitor. I'm with you, Captain. Thanks, Mick. Get ready, everybody. We're gonna hit dirt side real hard. As I was saying, we're not getting any tugs. So buckle up, everybody. This is gonna be a slammer for sure. One engine is out. The ship may wobble. Our gravitational controls look like the labyrinths of Venus. You medic, you can strap everybody in. Code E. Repeat. Code E. Captain, this is the engine room. One of our shields is slipping. How much time do we have left? No time. We're going down. Now. Gyroscopic malfunction. Try the attitude control jets. Three of them are out. How about backups? No response. You have your orders, Captain. You have a black sky alert. Do not land the dogstar. Repeat, black sky alert. I thought I told you to shut that space jockey off. They're using the radio beam. Then override it, damn it. Captain, quick. Come here. I think they're setting up missiles down there. They're fixing to blow us out of the air. You're right, Mick. I'm beginning to wonder if we're dealing with our friends or some kind of enemy. There's something screwy going on down there, all right? The ISA never acted like this before. The Dog Star begins to vibrate at an alarming rate. On the ground, the ambulance units hold themselves in readiness, according to ISA ordinance, even though they know the entire base may shortly be destroyed. The radio directive has filled the Dog Star with reverberating echoes, but Ganymede holds firm. He points to his left video unit. You see that control tower? They left it. I'm gonna use it to stabilize our role. They're not going to like it. They'll like it better than having us spread all over Pluto base. I don't understand what's going on. Someone down there really doesn't want us to land. Who needs him? I got 300 men here. Begin descent. As the ship descends, the wobble increases until the vibration makes the ship appear as a gargantuan, shuddering mirage. Everything's coming apart. I feel like I'm inside a tuning fork. Check the spider jets. Jojo, do you read me? They're okay, Ganymede. We're gonna catch hell for this! <laughs> well, that was it, man. I love it. <laughs> no, that you was liked great. It? No, that was perfect. That was yeah. really good. That reminds me of some of the old-time radio. That's what it was supposed to. It was supposed to have a sort of... Nostalgia. Uh, it was supposed to, to be nostalgic. It was supposed to be funny. It was supposed it's to be... great. It was all those things. It really yeah, was. It was. Well done. Well done. Yeah, well, well, thank you. That was... A, it got more sophisticated later on. We did a lot more to uh, make it more sophisticated. Uh, I would love say. to see that in a series. Well, yeah. Well, it was a series. It's actually two different series, but yeah, I don't. We'd have to redo it. I I, I do hope to someday get, do that. That that'd be great project. I, I love it. Well done. Thank you. Well, let's play uh, C fifteen and B one. This is Johnny Blue Star, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises a media content development company. If you need an audio ad from your website, AM, FM, or satellite radio, please contact us. I personally created simple voice spots, elaborately produced ads with original voices and music, and longer infomercial ads for various clients, radio stations, and my own talk shows and dramatic radio series. 
We stress a combination of creativity and powerful marketing ads, often involving the rotation of various ads during a campaign period. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com and fill out the contact form. Boots in Manhattan is a coming-of-age novel by Ray Boylan and Johnny Bluestar. It is about a young Tom Boots Raymond who grows up in New York in the 1940s who is a member of a street gang. My friends and I were about to start our own game of stickball when Rabbit Lacey, the head of the Rattlers, came up to us and tried to move in on our game. We were called dwarves, the youngest members of the stupid gang. Hey, Kevin, I need you to get some gloves and some stuff I left at my place. No, this is our game. Hey, are you my good little dwarf or what? You've been calling me a dwarf since I was six. We're not your personal slaves, pal. Hey, what is this? A dwarf rebellion? All right, big guy. We ditch the dwarf thing. We make you guys regular rattlers. No, it's too late. He looked at Jay and me. We looked away. Rabbit was now angry, and he pushed Kevin hard with the palms of his hand. Kevin tried to ram him in the stomach, but he stepped aside, throwing Kevin into the curb where he fell to the ground, bleeding profusely at the knee. Still, he managed to get up. My street. Kevin shouted at Rabbit, pointing at him with an angry index finger. Find out more by Googling Boots in Manhattan, a 1940s coming-of-age novel, part one of the novel series The Foot Soldier by Ray Boylan and Johnny Bluestar. Google with the words Boots in Manhattan, Ray Johnny Kindle. That's Boots in Manhattan, Ray Johnny Kindle. These days, we talk a lot about the dangers of unchecked immigration, and over the last few shows, we've offered an interesting paradigm for international border communities in conjunction with another paradigm for cooperative trade zones. Part of the problem is going to be a growing problem, and that is overpopulation. When it comes down to you, when it comes down to it, you hear extreme alternatives like those offering depopulation scenarios engineered by certain nefarious members of the elite. And then, of course, there's the pl- planeticide offered by geniuses who oversaw the creation creation of ever more destructive nuclear weapons justified by the amazing mutually assured destructive scenarios which pass for deter, deterrence through massive destruction of everyone on earth. And of course there is the do-nothing dangers, possibly by ignoring many of the world scientists' conviction of rampant dangers of climate change. Personally, I think we we're meant to overpopulate. Part of our nature so that we'd be ready to move on to our next level of existence, which Elon Musk calls multi-planetary. Do you think we should be multi-planetary, Don? Absolutely. Uh, I yes, think, yes! Of course. I think we're probably in, in small respect that way already, but we're not being let in on it. Well, I, I, I'm frankly skeptical about the degree of uh, well, to claims. To the degree, about- very, very small degree. But I actually believe we do. We have built structures on the moon. Uh, I believe that. Uh, I think it's been done in a clandestine way, but uh, I think we have put structures up there. Um, and as far as Mars, I. You know, I tend to believe that we have something started there, but I wouldn't know what it is. It's just I kind of fall into the fancy that everybody else does. You know, if we've got orbital satellites uh, looking in uh, on the planet, I mean, it makes sense that we could put stuff on the planet. And um, 
You know, I think well, there's a lot know, more private, going on already that we don't the, know about. The, the private space program claims are so vast. Right. Like, for instance, that, that, that we have already very sophisticated starship starships that go back and forth right. in, in different galaxies, and there's all kinds of factions in them. You know, I don't know what to think either, but I don't. I tend to, in this case, think that there's a lot of disinformation going on. Oh, and no doubt. Maybe, oh, maybe no uh, doubt. importantly, to disguise what they do have, because look, this is what bothers me. Is they really have what they, uh, what they they say they have. Why are they screwing around with oil? Why? What? What do they care? So people have only been the only answer I've ever gotten about that. In other words, if they could, they have the technology to clean up the earth, turn it into a beautiful place, and all that. Why are they trying to strangle us with oil well, and terrible weapons? Well, it's a good question. Weapons? You know, knowledge is power, and it seems like they've been sequestering history and information and old relics and old bones of giants and, and things that don't fit into the narrative. That's been done by various institutes and foundations have been destroying that information or sequestering Yes, they're it. destroying our history, right? Right, and if they can do that and keep us in the dark about our uh, our true history, uh, what can't they do? I mean... Well, 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 what I'm saying is, if they can do that, if they can really do all these things that these private space... Well, they do it probably. Say, it's kind of like originally slave. We were built as slave labor. Well, you need you need people to, uh, to create the funds, the energy necessary for these, these uh, things to occur. Unfor you know, unfortunately, again, it's our money, but we're not let, uh, let in on no, it. Well, well what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is I'm, I'm not talking I, – I agree with that, okay? What I'm saying – but if they really had all this technology about going to the stars and free energy, what, 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 they don't need any slaves. They don't need anybody. They can just, they could help us over, they could help us go to different planets. I, I mean, no, you'd still need a workforce, you know, no, no, they, they beats really, a good workforce. <laughs> well, they, they don't need us. They don't need slaves because they could take real good care of them. Right. But I mean, I don't think they think like that. I mean, when you, well, get, I, I know they couldn't think like that. Yeah. Whatever's really be done, they couldn't, but I don't think they have that advanced technology. I think they have some, some but right. I don't think, I don't think it's like that because if it was like that, They'd be so stupid to waste their time in making slaves where they can make robots. They could do all kinds of stuff. Why would they bother? Right. And well, yeah, you know, I see your point. Yeah. They'd have to be really stupid to, to worry about, oh, yeah, let's meet at the uh, Bilderbergs and let's let's uh, let's make it an alliance with the uh, let's get the let's get the Yemen thing settled so we can get their resources. And, you know, I, I just think it's. Uh, well, when you've heard about all the pyramids and the and the new pyramids that we're seeing on the po in the poles uh, of the planet and and various underground pyramids that we're able to see through new technology, we re we rarely hear about anything. Uh, any well, of those the things, relics? Those probably, they, they probably existed. Right. You know, th those things existed, and there was probably a, a very advanced. Right, that's probably a lot of where our sci-fi and these ideas about space forces and everything come out of. They become fanciful uh, uh, ideas um, that kind of 
pop out onto the stage. Do, but, but do I feel some of it's real? Yeah, I'm kind of like you. I think I think they've gotten a lot farther than what they're telling us, but they're not so yeah. far as they've got some space force and uh, they've got some elite command up there. And, you know, uh, I, I don't... <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. I mean, they, they, the way they talk about it is it's just a... It's a little oh, weird. They, oh, oh, it's things like, okay... You got injured, so we'll just clone you. That's what we'll clone. And I got, I've got cloned ten times already. Anyway, let's let's listen to what Elon Musk thinks about making life in, in multiplanetary and in seventy three. If you if you look at look at things over a broad span of time, the things that that are less important kind of fall away. Um, and if you look at things from the broadest possible span of time as it relates to life itself. And the, the evolution of life has been um, primitive life, I think, started around 3.5 to 3.8 billion years ago. Um, and what, what are the important steps in the evolution of life? And obviously, there was the advent of single-celled life. There was uh, differentiation to plants and animals. There was uh, life going from the oceans to land. Uh, there was uh, mammals, uh, consciousness. Um, and I would argue also, on that scale, um, should fit life becoming multiplanetary. Um, and in fact, I think it, it, consciousness, it, it is, it's the next step, actually, because you, you, you really kind of need consciousness to design uh, vehicles that can transport uh, life over hundreds of millions of miles uh, of irradiated space to an environment that they did not evolve to exist in. Um, you know, it would be very convenient, of course, if there was another planet just like Earth uh, nearby. Um, but, but that's, that's uh, unlikely and, and, as it turns out, not the case. I think if, if one could make um, a reasonable argument that, that something is important enough to fit on the scale of evolution, uh, then it's, it's, it's important um, and, and maybe worth a little bit of our, our resources. If it's something like a quarter of a percent of the GDP, um, that, would be, that would be okay. I think most people would say, okay, that's, that's not too bad. You know, it's... Um, but you know, you you don't want it. You want you want it to be some sort of number that is uh, much less than we spend on healthcare, but maybe more than we spend on lipstick, you know, something like that. I'm a, and I like lipstick. It's not like I've got anything against it. So so Nate, so NATO gets together with other different groups throughout the world, and they say, yeah, I know NATO wants two percent of the defense budget, which is a lot. That's great. But let's all get together, all of the countries in the world, and create this incredible space force. The things we could do, the things we could do as a world if we decided to get together and, 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 and do it. Um, yeah, amazing things. I'd love to see something like this. A united, You know, that might be the ticket instead of climate change as the tax ruse. Uh, maybe uh, a global space force uh, and tax uh, the countries and they all go into some international, uh, uh, they build an international space force, kind of like International Space Station, but, you know, that's, yeah, I wouldn't mind something like that because if you're telling the people honestly why you're taking their money and, and they get it, like with climate change, a lot of us just don't get it. Just too many lies and too much bullshit and too much geoengineering going on. And, and 
and a lot of money going into those projects. So it's hard for us to believe, um, you know, what's being told to us. But if, if they were to literally say, hey, okay, we're going to build an international space force and all the countries have to, you know, we're going to tax a tiny percentage of the country's GDP to build this. Yeah, I'd be in. Well, the, the, the interesting thing is that the songs I told you about that I got 10 of them, um, the story is about the people of Earth being challenged by the nuclear situation at the time in the, in the near future, decide that they want, they, they're afraid that things are going wrong and they want to have their own way of getting out. So they, they put, put together an organization called the Stars Belong to Everyone Corporation and they, they raise money from private people in order to... Uh, in order to develop it. this stuff. And something like that has been going on. I think it has to do with Mars, where they, they've been raising money to go to Mars. But anyway, this was long before that. This was in the 70s. Yeah, this, and you know the stars be right, long right. to everyone. The best <laughs> things in life are free. Uh, here, here we go. Um, we're going to l- listen to... E- Look, I, um, hmm. Elon, Elon Musk's uh, actual plan to uh to colonize mars in 72. earth mars synchronization happens roughly every two years so every two years there's a, an opportunity to, to fly to mars uh, so then in 2024 uh, we want to try to fly four ships uh, two of which would be crewed and two of which two, two cargo and, and two two crew um, the, the goal of 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 the uh of these initial missions is to is to find the best source of water that's for the first mission. And then the second mission, the goal is to build the, the propellant plant. So we should, uh, with, particularly with six ships, there uh, have plenty of landed mass to construct the propellant depot, uh, which will consist of a large array of solar panels, very large array, um, and then everything necessary to mine and refine uh, water, and then draw the CO2 out of the atmosphere, uh, and then create and store uh, deep cryo CH4 and O2. Then build up the base, starting obviously with one, one ship, then multiple ships, then start building out the city, then making the city bigger, <laughs> even bigger. You send the spaceship up to orbit, you retank it or refill it until it has full tanks, um, and um, it travels to Mars, lands on Mars, um, for Mars, you will need local propellant production. But Mars has a CO2 atmosphere and plenty of water ice. That gives you CO2 and H2O. So you've got, you can make, therefore, CH4 and O2 um, using the Sabatia process. Becoming a multi-planet species. Piece the hell out of being a single-planet species. That's great. So anyway, in a world that finally removes its WMD weapons and decides to practice cooperative trade and handle the problems of refugees with compassion and intelligence, what should we do with government defense department and the defense industries that support them? How will they survive if they can't make nuclear weapons, silos, submarines loaded with nuclear missiles and millions of guns, bombs, mines, grenades, etc.? I know. Let's retask them to work with private industry to clean up our air, water and oceans. And at the same time, let us let, let let us see them either develop or release their 
hidden method methodology for faster than light travel and get to work on learning how to accurately terraform new planets. I love it. Start, I we love can that start idea. With, thank you. We can start with Mars, but be ready to take off for new planets and new adventures. And maybe at long last, I can apply to the real rocket rangers if I can find enough people in my block to sign up. <laughs> that and find your helmet. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Don. Uh, we're going to start moving out. I want to thank you for joining with me today and Always your a pleasure. continued help. Yeah, you've been, it's just been, I can't tell you, it's such a boost to work with you know, someone you can, you can talk to and uh, interact with about stuff like this and even sometimes argue. <laughs> well, I, I love it. I, I just really appreciate being on your show. I wouldn't have it any other way. You're just fantastic. And to your audience, hey, thanks for uh, listening to me chime in. appreciate it. And we'll likely catch you next time. And thank you, Johnny. Well, we also want to thank you, brother, because he has shown so many us different multiple advantages of working with BBS Radio and helps us also in all the minute things we have to do. Of course, we want to thank Hassan Khan. He helps in all things related to New Galaxy Enterprises and BBS Radio. Linda Mystic Healer and Andy Miller for supporting Inalienable and Free, the Voice of the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. Now, Don, we're going to, uh, well, we want to, we're going to give our official goodbye, followed by a beautiful version of Evergreen. You know the song Evergreen? You remember that? I, it rings a bell, but I'd have to hear it to be sure. Yeah. yeah. Let's listen to it together if we can. You got it. Anyway, this is by, see, Patricia Wells put together a whole bunch of, of, uh, of songs based on dec decades from like the 40s to the to the 60s and early 70s and this is one of her songs in her in her uh in her set uh, anyway in recognition uh, of our and then in recognition of our future ability to redeploy our defense resources to utilize faster than light travel to visit and terraform some some extra space for ever expanding multiplanetary population with room enough for Room enough in an infinite universe, we are going to have Ganymede Jones remind you of our collective mission. So we'll play three this time, INF Extra, the M32, and then for a final goodbye, SP9. Thanks for joining Don Newsom and I on Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition. As we go about developing our new organization, the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment, we hope you will consider the importance of taking part in the electoral processes of your government and asserting the rights you have to vote for the companies you respect and love by casting your ballot as a shareholder or as a consumer with what you buy. We hope soon to make this possible through a social network responsive to your needs to dialogue about your rights as a citizen, but also to be able to effectively act in concert with like-minded colleagues to find representatives of government and business executives We'll hear your voice and appreciate your message. See you soon.
This is Ganymede Jones. Imagine a dark night. The wind is crisp and cool. The sky cloudless and majestic. Perhaps you are walking alone or with a loved one. Scattered about the night sky are thousands upon thousands of brilliant points of light. Look above you, friends of this restless planet. Out into the night sky. Unknown worlds await. Beauty beyond imagination. Intelligence beyond comprehension. Life in its infinite forms and variations, yet all from the same seed, the same fundamental vibration. A cosmic tapestry of infinite life, yet each thread unique and indispensable. Look above you, out into the vastness of the night sky, for your destiny lies out there, somewhere among the stars. 